Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, Ad Nauseam listeners. We're so glad that you have joined us today on May 5, 2021. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing all right. How are you doing, Dave? You know, I'm uh, I'm a little perplexed, I got to tell you. Yeah, on second thought, I'm not doing that great. <laughs> so what's the source of my perplexity, you ask? Yes. What is the source of your perplexity? Well, we had this wonderful episode that we were going to release this week, you remember? I do. What happened to it? Why aren't we releasing it? Well, episode 35, as it was going to be, with the fabulous Dr. Michael Fontaine of yeah. Cornell University. Yeah. How to tell a joke. Right. A funny thing happened on the way to the uh, audio recording. Yeah, it turned out to be uh, actually not all that funny. No, not good at all. No. Well, it was a brilliant interview. Um, not on our part, but Fontaine was just, he was firing on all cylinders. Oh, man. It was, it, he was, he was snapping and popping left That's and right. right. Yeah. We had, uh, what did we have? We had some Terrence in there, some Plautus. There was a Ronald Reagan and a Donald Trump obscure or uh, what? Concealed reference, yes. you might say. Yep, yep. And yet the audio recording went sour. Oh, it was horrible. We had echoes and reverb. And uh, the wonderful Mishka, she worked so hard to bring it into line with our high standards. What could but she even, do? But even Mishka. That's right. You cannot draw blood from a stone. As I a, thought it was you can't get blood from a turnip. You, can't get, you couldn't get blood out of anything with this episode. <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. The raw footage, you might say, yes. that we handed her was, was just too weak because we had some technical peccadillos here in the vomitorium. Yeah. So we're doing our audience a favor by not oh, releasing right. this. Suppressing yes. that. We, we dragged this out a little far, didn't we? We did. <laughs> it was great stuff, but you're never going to hear you're it. You're never going to hear it. Actually, we're going to get Mike Fontaine back. That's uh, that's our our hope. I'm not saying we're going to promise that to the audience, but that is our sincere intention. Yeah. And so, Jeff, mm-hmm. we didn't want to just leave a big, dull spot in the listener's week, did we? We didn't. In fact, I've, I've gotten uh, a few messages already saying, hey, what? No podcast this yeah, week? Where's the episode? Where's the episode? When is it going to drop? Right. People were, were nervous and worried. I know. Scared. Even. I know. Yes. The, the problem is it dropped and it shattered into pieces. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we rushed into the vomitorium. Yes. Right? Emergen- emergency session. Yeah. The big AN spotlight went out into the uh, what in the atmosphere and shown up on the clouds like the, like the bat signal right right yep. that's where I'm going you jumped in your what is a Honda Odyssey my Civic tonight I had, it's to, a go, Civic. I had to go even faster wow. yes <laughs> I jumped in my Ford F-150 we raced to the vomitorium to release this special episode but we're not calling it an episode are we well I guess not I mean we'll, maybe we'll decide after this is done come on Jeff before we went on the air you were adamant this is not an episode. It's not. I know, but now you know everything's. Now that we're live and, and on air, I'm rethinking everything. Okay. So this may or may not be an episode. We could call it a side dish. A side dish to keep the gustatory theme uh, vibrant. Yeah. 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 Right. But we'll, we got to see how this goes. We're we're really we're uh, we're flying uh, by the seat of our pants. Here. That's right. We're out on a limb. You yeah. might say. Yes. Plus, and, and other metaphors. Yeah, additional risky metaphors. Yes. So as we get into it this evening, what is it that we have decided to do, Dr. Jeffrey T. Winkle? Well, we're going to talk to our audience about the uh, the top reasons why they might study Greek or Latin. It is T, right? Uh, T? Yes. Jeffrey T. Winkle? It is T. Yes. All right, thanks. Right. Yeah, the top reasons. We've got 11 or 9 or 10. Somewhere in that area. Yes. This is something that you and I actually wrote together. We did. A number of years ago. It was an early collaboration pre-ad nauseum. Yes, 
long time ago. And uh, we put it together, what, about six, seven years ago. Yeah, you, you dug this up. I had completely forgotten about this. Deep in the archive. Yep. We, we put it together because we were trying to attract uh, current and prospective, prospective yes. Calvin students uh, into the study of the Greek and Latin languages. Yes, it's all coming back to me. Yes, so modeled after you know the top 10 list that would be on uh, David Letterman. Exactly. And uh, so here they go. So let's get right into it. Number one, the number one reason of the top 10. Now, now hold on a minute. What? I'm having second thoughts. What, what are you thinking? Are we supposed to be counting down? Isn't that how it usually goes? You start with, you start with 10 and go down. That's, that's how... That's how Letterman would do it. So we messed this up too, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, maybe that's why this flyer didn't work so well five or six years ago. Right. So you want to start start there and say this is number ten? I think they got funnier as they went, though, or at least less offensive. Let's say that. Okay. All right. Number one. Yeah. Latin is the original Romance language. True. Without romance, the human species cannot be propagated. That's right. It's essential to the survival of the of the species. Yes. Right? Yeah. I made a comment today yeah. in my Latin 102 course, and based on the masked responses of my masked students, yes. it hit its mark a little bit. Okay. Uh, we were talking about what it was. It was probably uh, the Latin word liber. Mm-hmm. Right? So liber means book. But as everybody knows, liber means child or free person. Mm-hmm. Now, it gets a little bit complicated here because uh, Spanish has libro, right? Mm-hmm. If you've ever studied Spanish before, you know libro means book. So it just leads to confusion. And I said, the problem here is that Spanish is Latin's ugly daughter, <laughs> the mother tongue. And um, <clears throat> that seemed to get a, a kind of reaction. Like, like a bristly reaction? No, no, they laughed. They laughed, They yeah. chuckled. You know, their grade depended on it. Yeah, so, gotcha. Right, right. You know what it's like. You, you teach to a masked audience for two semesters. You get a little bit desperate. You let's, do. Yep. Let's get something out of it. I end up just kind of imagining and pretending that there are positive smiles and chuckles <laughs> yeah. from behind the mask. You can right? see there, there's got to be something behind that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, no, no. Spanish is not Latin's ugly daughter. Neither is French or Italian or the other romance languages. Right. 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 They all have their place. How about, how about number two? Number two, uh, after studying classics, you will be able to say it's Greek to me, except you're referring to something you actually understand quite well. Right? <laughs> now I have to pause here Yes. and I have to, uh, pick a bone with you here. Uh, why? Well, how many times have we heard, it's Greek to me, when you tell people that you study classics? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's awful. It's awful. It is. Constant refrain. Right. When, I, and when I've taught Greek, I've often started the, the first class that's saying, they can use that joke once. And that's it. And that's it. We bury it. There's a, there's a statue of limitations on it, you might say. That's right. Yeah. Now, and now as I'm looking at this, this is from, I mean, the, the, the quote is from uh, Julius Caesar. Right? It is. She, but I'm forgetting the context of that quote. I it's, think it's Casca who says it. Okay. Now why, you does all, he, why does he say it? Because Cicero is walking down to the forum and he says some, you know, smart alecky remark as Cicero was wont to do. Right. And uh, somebody says, what did he say? What did he say? And I believe it's Casca. You can all go scurrying to Wikipedia and find out. Uh, who says, I don't know what he said. It's all Greek to me. At which point the audience would have just lost it. They right? would have. They would have, yeah. yeah. Speaking of smart alecky remarks, yep. it's not a statue of limitations. No. It's, it's a statute. Statute, right? It's in a what? sculpture of limitations, <laughs> as Jerry what? Seinfeld once said. Why didn't yeah. you correct me? I, I, I'm so used to hearing it that the, the wrong way, it just washes over me. You're too nice. Yeah. That's a bold-faced lie is what that is. <laughs> Which is also bald. It's a bald. Bald. Okay. Number three. Number three. You read it. Okay. Medusa 
Achilles and Percy Jackson, three people who have never been in my kitchen. <laughs> but they live and breathe in the pages of classical myth, and learning Greek or Latin will help you to become close friends. This one also... Um, Cultural reference. It's, it, yes, but it's also, it's getting kind of stale for me already. No. So, you know, uh, when I have students do myth papers, and often a topic they can choose is to look at a, a modern myth and see how it interprets the ancient world. And if I get one more paper on about Percy Jackson. Percy Jackson, I'm going to scream. Or Disney's Hercules. It, I, well, I'm, I'm with you on the Disney Hercules. Yeah. But I, I can't go down that road with Percy Jackson. I, I love Percy Jackson. Well, I'm indifferent I, to him. But... Here's why I can't go down that road, okay. because uh, of the 34 students in my classical lit course right now, I would guess easily three quarters of them are in the class because of Rick Riordan mm. and Percy Jackson. Right. And in fact, another member of the Noe family uh, has threatened to come on this podcast and school us in the ways of Percy Jackson. That's a serious threat. Well, she knows the, uh, the entire corpus. You know? Yeah. Quite well, but did you get the the reference in this? Three people who have never been in my kitchen. What's uh, does the name Cliff Clavin mean anything to you, Jeff Winkle? That's a that's a Cheers reference. Yes, yes. I was never a huge fan of that show. Okay, okay, but that's, probably why. That's something from that show. So Cliff Clavin, uh, John Ratzenberger, yes. is the the actor, if I'm not mistaken, right? Who later uh, was in Toy Story, right? He voices uh, all kinds of characters in those Pixar yes, movies. Yes, he does yes. quite impressively. John Ratzenberger, Cliff Clavin, the postman. He was on uh, Jeopardy, and it was Final Jeopardy, and the answer was three different persons, and the question was, what three people have never been in my kitchen? (laughs) And so then he fought with Alex Trebek that, this is correct. (laughs) These three people have never been in my kitchen, therefore it fits. Of course, it was a a losing appeal. It was a losing appeal, and he went down. It went down. In flames in Final Jeopardy. Gotcha. So Medusa, Achilles, Percy Jackson. Yeah. They live and breathe in the pages of classical myth. Learning Greek or Latin will help you to become close friends. Yes. How about number four? Pause. What's, you yes. said all those, those wonderful, uh, influential things about Rick Riordan, but yet you are indifferent to Percy I have Jackson. never read one of the books. I, I have see. never seen one of the movies. I see. But, you're, but you can see the value in this. Oh, it has. Okay. It, it's amazing. Okay. Frankly, if I'm going to be real honest yes. uh, with the audience, which, you know, after 34 episodes, it's probably time. I'm envious. Envious. Of Mr. Rorden. You should pick up one of the books. Yeah? Yeah. Would that make me more envious? <laughs> I think... I, Why didn't probably. I think to do that? I, oh, what I a, see. Yeah. What a brilliant idea. Right. Contextualize these ancient myths in a kind of a teenage setting. I understand that's what's going on, Yeah. Right? Now, we, I think he's he's doing it with Egyptian mythology. I, probably Norse is next. It's, it's He's got all kinds of things to pick from. You yep. know, he, found, he found his niche and he's... He's uh, he's going down that road, yeah. yeah I, I'm I'm envious. It's it's very admirable, and you know the popularizers, uh, folks like you and I, you know, with PhDs in classics and our stuffy tweed yeah. jackets, so with tweedy, the leather patches and the pipes stuck in the pockets and so forth. Right. The little green uh, lampshades on our lamps on our desks covered. And don't forget the must. So much oh, must. There's a lot of it. Right? Yeah. Uh, we oftentimes put down the popularizers, but let's be honest, where would we be without them? I, I don't think I've ever put down the popularizers. No, you think, haven't? You, I, you haven't really gone there. No. You've always been in favor of, of trying to find a way to get this Play, stuff. I mean, what's, what are we doing here? Play along, right? Jeff. I'm trying to fill the time. All right. <laughs> some um, put down popularizers. Some, right. Some we sneer. never have. Some sneer. There's, a, there's no. no room for sneering. Yeah. Right. We are trying to popularize. Okay. 
Number four. Am I reading number four? Um, I think I'm reading number four. All right, let's hear it. Number four. The study of Greek and Latin is not just the study of language. It's an all-access pass into a myriad of disciplines like history, philosophy, archaeology, drama, mythology, religion, medicine, and hermeneutics, just to name a few. That's impressive. Yeah. That's a long list. So it's not merely the study of language, but an all-access pass. Yes. It's like the... it's a. a classics course, a language course is is it's it's like the ultimate humanities course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, and that's what I, I like to impress upon my students here when I teach even like a classic mythology, um, when I taught the languages. Maybe a lit course. A lit course. It's it's everything. It's right. everything. It, it's uh, the um, the field is huge. So it's like when you go to Disney World, something I haven't done in uh, a long time, I've never, which I've never done. Never been to Disney. I've never World. been. To, I went to Disney Disney no. What's the one in California? That's land. Disneyland. And it's the world in Florida. I've been right. to Disneyland. Okay. Which, as I understand, is the less impressive one. I don't know. I've yeah. been to Disney World twice. The last time was when I was 10 years old. So it oh, was okay. a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but as I understand, if you get the all-access pass, yeah. you can go to Disney World itself, Princess Village. You can go to... Epcot. Uh, Disasterland. Yes. Right. Dumbo's Stable. <laughs> Something, right? Exactly right. I don't yeah. know what all the... The diff- Log Flume. I think there's the a flume. flume. Right. Yeah, right. All those different places. So classics is like that. Yeah. You, you slide your card into Greek and Latin, and you get what? You get history with Thucydides. You get comedy with Aristophanes. You Cloudus. got it all. Yeah. You got it all. You got it all. Serious philosophy. Uh, in fact, this is how I got into classics. What was your gateway drug? My gateway drug was uh, John Calvin and John Milton. Oh, wow. Yeah, two Johns that go together, right? Yeah. So the the footnotes in Calvin's Institutes, all Greek and Latin. I didn't understand what was going on. Then I get to John Milton, and he's talking about Comus this and, you know, all these different muses and such. I didn't understand any of it. So yeah. I, I thought, I really got to go back to the beginning, ab initio, yeah. and learn a few things if I can appreciate this stuff. Right. So that was kind of how I got in. So you weren't a, uh, like a, as a young kid kind of oh, no. geeked out in mythology? Or no, I, really? wasn't, I wasn't really exposed to that. Wow, wow. I told you that I read the Sesame Street version of Odysseus. Oh, that's right, right. yeah. <laughs> I was, and I thought it was Bert dressed up as Penelope. <laughs> that's right, I forgot about, right. forgot about Penelope. Right. Thought, well, who's this Penelope? And uh, that was the extent of my exposure to classics. Wow, wow. So very, very late I backed into it. And, gotcha. You know, now I'm stuck. So. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And did you have a, a gateway drug, so to speak? Oh, my parents bought me a Dowlair's mythology book when I was seven, and I was hooked. And uh, yeah, I saw that horrible slash wonderful Clash of the Titans, the 1981. Oh, yeah, with the claymation. Yeah, yeah. I saw that, and I thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen. So I had been obsessed with mythology uh, and carried that on in very nerdy ways well mm-hmm. into my teens. And so, you, nerdy. <laughs> I know, hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So this list of ologies and osophies yeah. in this one, in my classical lit course now, I, I told them, this is how the, the class is going to go, and we haven't re- read the evaluations yet, so this could be a total disaster. Okay. But I said, we're going to start with um, geography, we're going to move to chronology, then history, then uh, philosophy, and then theology. So we're going to deal with those five, right? Okay. We're going to look at the, the lay of the land, sequence of events, the peoples, kind of what they were thinking, and then what does it mean in terms of gods and men, right? Yeah. How, how the gods interact with men and women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Geography. So, yeah, you like the geography? I've, I, I like, I like, I've always liked those geography as destiny arguments. I do too. Yeah. They're very compelling. Right. So, you know, each student in the the 
Classics 211. If you're listening, this constitutes a shout-out, right? I got them a box of crayons and a ruler and some construction paper. And nice. Craft time. Yeah, they drew their own map. No, I'm just making that stuff oh. up. Oh. So what's the next one on the list? Uh, I think you're reading, aren't you? Is, yeah. it, uh, is it number f- Number five. And I think we have different lists. So yours begins when you go to medical school? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that says six on my list. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Okay. When you go to medical school and are earning extra money via appendectomies, you can say to your patients, did you know that appendix is a Latin word? It means something extra that you don't really need. That's why I'm taking it out. Now stop squirming. <laughs> that comes in very handy. It does. You want, you want to put people at ease, mm-hmm. right? I also just like the idea of you know, a med school student kind of moonlighting as an appendectomist. Appendectomologist. For some, for some you know, some... Uh, you know, malt shop money. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to take it out. That's right. Now, this one was actually born uh, out of a little bit of an autobiographical element. I do tell. Well, after one of our children was born, the attending physician said, uh, so what do you study? You know, what, what are you doing here? I'm just the dad, right? Leave me alone. Yeah. No, no. What, what do you do for a living? Oh, I teach Latin. He starts quoting to me the Aeneid. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, he did. And uh, so he knows Latin. This has happened to me several times uh, during my life, not with doctors, but in other settings. The guy who inspected our house, I may have told this story on air already. He's inspecting our house. And what do you do for a living? Uh, I teach Latin, you say, with that kind of sheepish shame. Yeah. <laughs> I do something, you know, that most people don't think is that important. Oh, he said, well, I used to read Julius Caesar. And he starts quoting from, you know, Omnis Gallia and Tres Partes Duisa Est and so forth. Wow. They just come out of the woodwork, right? Man, man. I think that's happened to me maybe once. You need to sell your house or have another baby. That's (laughs) That's the key? That's the key. (laughs) I usually just get the, what are you going to do with that? You know that? (laughs) Right? And you just say, hey, it's all Greek to me. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So what's the next one we got here? Uh, let's see, uh, number six. Number six. Number You're going to read this I'll one. I'll read this, yes. According to the Princeton Review, people who study Greek and Latin are 35 times more likely to become billionaires. Wow. Well, that's not true. Okay. Uh, but they did say this. Students who major or double major in classics have a better success rate getting into medical school than do students who concentrate solely in biology, microbiology, and other ologies. Ah, really? Yes, in the sciences. Yeah. yeah. So these other branches of science, if you just stick with biology, microbiology, or something else, mm-hmm. you don't have as good a chance of getting into med school. Yeah. I'm just repeating it. Yeah. <laughs> as if you combine that with a double major in classics. That's right. This is something that I've tried to press upon my students with not like a whole with, lot of success like yet. Like with a stick or what? a, a plunger a, or a, what? Yeah, a plunger. I haven't gone electric yet. Okay. Um, but you know, gently say, hey, why not consider a second major mm-hmm. as a, I think this is really true. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be, um, are just a really kind of cool way to go. But I don't think a lot of students, in my experience, really come to college thinking along those lines, right? No. They, they're, that, on a, they're on a track and they want to follow right. that track. That's yeah. a, that requires a really long-term view. So I was just asked this question a few days ago, one okay. related to this by a friend of mine. He said, hey, Dr. Noe, um, you know, if I want to be a dentist, do you think I should take a class in should I take Latin uh, if I want to be a dentist? I said, well, it depends on what you want to do with it. Um, If you're just trying to learn dental terminology, then no, I wouldn't take Latin. Mm. Just buy yourself a good book, you know, Greco-Roman medical terminology. Read the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was a younger professor, I would have said, oh yeah, you got to take Latin because that's the, the best, most organic and deepest way to learn these terms. It's still probably true, but it's not really practical for most people. Yeah. And the question is a practical question. So I have to address it differently. So I say, no, just buy the book on medical terminology. But if 
after you purchase your third Mercedes as a dentist or an orthodontist, you don't want to spend all your time with Netflix and golf. Well, then take up Latin so you can, you know, enrich your free time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you say, come to it, come to it later? Yes. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you could take it now, right? right. But come to it for a non-pragmatic reason. Gotcha, I So gotcha. this goes back to episode number one, Classics as a Way of Life. Right. 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 Uh, if you come to the study of Greek and Latin for pragmatic reasons, you'll be quickly uh, disappointed. Yeah. Because there's not really that much there, honestly. It's what shows up in the brochures is always, this will boost your SAT scores, yeah. right? And, and probably true, well, but yeah, yeah. there's faster ways to do that. Right, know? exactly right. Yeah. Caffeine pills, I don't know. <laughs> we just, we need more curious, interesting people. Absolutely. And this is a great way to, to, to do that. That's right. Yeah. How about number seven? You got number seven there? Yeah, I do. Okay. Uh, thanks to Alexander. That's where we're going yes. with this? All yep. Right. Thanks to Alexander. That is uh, Alexander the Great. You want a bad dad joke here? It, yeah. Everybody's heard it. What do Alexander the Great and Smokey the Bear have in common? I, I have no idea. Same middle name. <laughs> thanks to Alexander's eastward marauding, the New Testament was written in Greek. Greek philosophers, poets, and gods stalk its pages. In fact, the book of Acts is filled with references to various gods. Castor and Pollux show up in the book of Acts. Did you know that? Zeus and Hermes, uh, and Hermes show up in the book of Acts. There, there are quotations from Menander. There are quotations from Eratus, his phenomena, uh, all over the place. So wouldn't it be nice to read the New Testament as it came from the minds and the mouths of Peter, Paul, and company? Yes, yes, indeed. And there's, again, mentioning Alexander the Great, there's that connection to that, that larger context of, of history. Right. It, it answers the question, why is the New Testament, why is Paul writing in Greek? Mm-hmm. Why is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John writing in Greek? And does it matter, right? I yeah. Mean, yeah, it matters. So I, I try to make this argument over and over, right? If, if, uh, if you're a Christian, if you're a theist... Right. Um, and you want to know some, and not all of our listeners are, uh, we, we want a broad audience, but for those who, who are, if no one in the Christian community knows about the classics, then all of us are impoverished, right? Yeah. Because this literature of the New Testament, it was written at a specific point in time. Yeah. Into that Greco-Roman milieu. Exactly. And then not to mention just the nuance of the language itself. Right. right? I find that a lot of my students come in with this idea that language is math, mm-hmm. right? So this word in this language means this word in the other language. Absolutely. And and uh, with little kind of appreciation for the, the loss that happens in yep. translation, right? So I can give you an example of that. I was just reading uh, Philippians chapter one with my Greek 203 class. We we're, were reading some New Testament. Paul uses this noun, I think I can remember it, uh, Aaron, Tain Aaron, you know, which is Eris, the goddess of discord. Strife. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So in this verse, he uses uh, Tain Aaron, uh, and then later in the same verse, he uses a, a compound of it. I think it's Eretheos in the genitive. Well, the two words are, are obviously their cognates, right? One means strife. Eretheos means a different kind of strife or quarreling. Hmm. So in class, I'm thinking, I wonder how Jerome translated this, yeah. right? This happens to me a lot, you know, if I'm at the gas station, I wonder how Jerome would have pumped this fuel, right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder how Jerome, maybe there's no potential in this line of... Uh... Well, the, the same thing happens to me, but it's usually at Taco Bell. <laughs> nice save. <Yeah. laughs> nice save. So I looked it up, and yeah. Jerome translates both words with uh, contentio, contention, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, why did Jerome do that, right? It's two different words, but he uses the same Latin word. Well, mm-hmm. maybe it's because... There isn't another one that he could have uh, 
pulled out to approximate that second usage. Or he was just getting kind of sleepy and, and bored at that point, and he just yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got. Be, that could be too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to assume the best of Jerome, but you know, he lived in a cave. He was a cranky guy. He was quite cranky. Yeah. He lived in a cave in a desert spot. So what are you going to do? Another uh, kind of example on those lines, just last week I was teaching in a couple of high school classes mm-hmm. where my wife teaches. And, Excellent. Um, teachers in, is doing the Odyssey and say, will you come in and talk about oh, it? Oh, perfect. So Boy, I did, that's like handing you a, yeah. you know. It was great. It was great. a softball. But I taught, him, I taught him a little Greek, did the, the first line. And Excellent. That, that word polytropos. Absolutely. Him, right? And of course, usually when you look at English translations, um, Usually the translator will choose something like clever. Mm-hmm. Right? The word means like much, much turning, much, much talk. Exactly. But of course the word in Greek, it can mean clever and, mm-hmm. and cunning, but it can also mean literally tossed about. That's right. And so in, when you translate in English, you have to make a choice. And once you make that choice, you lose something. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. The valence, the nuance is missing. Missing. That's a great example. That's a great example. Well, we have a few more, right? Yeah. We got to hear from our sponsors. We do before so, we get in too deep. Yep. Exactly. This episode of Ad Nauseam is brought to you by Hackett Publishing. Since 1972, Hackett Publishing has been setting the standard for affordable, high-quality translations in the field of classics, as well as many other areas of the humanities. Dave, what do you like about what Hackett has to offer? Well, Jeff, Hackett has an enormous and growing collection of hundreds of titles. They cover ancient history, literature, philosophy, poli-sci, and classical language study. Hackett editions are ideal for both classroom use and general readership, offering affordable, up-to-date, modern translations, as well as editions of classic works with helpful scholarly notes, annotations, and introductions. What's not to like? What's not to like? I love their illustrations and photographs they put on on their covers. They're often very clever. They'll take a contemporary or near-contemporary photo and match it thematically with an ancient work. It's just just really, really well done. Like the moon landing, right? Yes, for the the Odyssey. Yes, or the, the men arriving on the beaches of Normandy. For the, the Iliad. Yeah, and uh, you you brought this to my attention. Elvis on the cover of Euripides uh, Bacchae. That's my favorite. It's yes. This is perfect. It's really well chosen, well done. Yep. So, uh, Dave, what do uh, what can our listeners get uh, by listening to this podcast? What's on tap? Well, they can get, of course, an hour of wonderful and extraordinary entertainment. Is that what you're talking about? No, that, that's a given. <laughs> um, uh, how can they benefit by going to hackitpublishing.com? Well, in addition to the self-serving hyperbole offered up by the guests, yes? they can go to hack hackettpublishing.com, H-A-C-K-E-T-T. We trust you can spell publishing and they can receive 20% off on any order as well as free shipping. The generous folks at Hackett who so graciously support this podcast, they're going to give you 20% off and free shipping on any order. So go to Hackett, enter AN2021 in the box, which asks for the coupon code at checkout. It's a great deal. You won't regret it. Today's episode is also brought to you by Racial Coffee. Ladies and gentlemen, listen closely, please. Mark Helweg and his team, based in Portland, Oregon, have solved not only your brew-based problems, how to get a good cup of coffee, but your aesthetic appliance problems. Now, why spend 4 to $6 on coffee that you purchased in a drive through from one of those national brands when you can brew get this better coffee at home? Not only do you get better coffee from the Ratio 6 or its big brother, the 8, these beautiful automatic pour-over machines, but you also get something that's beautiful as it sits on your counter. It's not one of those ugly plastic appliances, right, Jeff? No, it's, it's a centerpiece is what it is. Yeah, the, 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 the light from the heavens open up and, and shine on this every morning when I walk into the kitchen. And you bring in kids from the neighborhood, right? They're riding by on their bicycle. Hey, kid, come in here and check out my coffee machine. I, I, that at first, and now they come of their own uh, of their own volition. Right, they make like a coffee <laughs> pilgrimage. 
century. They do. Let's go see Mr. Winkle's ratio six. Exactly. Let's get into the okay. details here. All so right. The, the, what the ratio does. All right. Let's hear it. It sends 200 degree Fahrenheit water soaring through its metallic veins. No plastic in this creature at all. Down into the cone filled with freshly ground odd aster beans. It then sits in the bloom stage for a few minutes, allowing all of the harsh CO2 to float lazily off into the biosphere. And then it is deposited in the hand-blown borosilicate glass or stainless steel carafe. No bitterness, no burned flavor, just consistent, sweet coffee. So well said, Jeff. Yes. And it gets rid of the brackish tang, right? There's no no, no brackish tang. So, okay. so if you've got a folk moot coming up, yep. yeah, brew up, uh, brew up 8 to 12 cups. In the ratio six or the ratio eight. Your choice. Okay. Listen up, files. Go to ratiocoffee.com, R-A-T-I-O, ratiocoffee.com right now and get a 15% exclusive discount on the ratio six. You're going to want to enter the special coupon code ANCO for 15% off. That's ANCO, ratiocoffee.com. Bring the brew to you. This week's episode is also brought to you by Ad Astra Coffee, the coffee that takes you to the stars without having to go through all that perasperous stuff. Very nice. So Patrick Whalen and his team down in Hillsdale, Michigan, they brew some of the best beans, 80% or better on the coffee grading scale. That's very good, isn't it? It is, I think so. And they have this poetry series. You've got Wordsworth, Rilke, and uh, other great poets printed right on the bag. You drink some coffee, you read some poetry, you check out Winkle's Haiku from yep. a few weeks back. That's right, yeah. Right. I won't bring it up to, uh, now. Go no, back. No, no. Go check it out, though. Okay. Yeah. So they got Tenebris. What else? Tenebris um, was the Las Lajas. Yeah. What, the Micro Lot. The Micro Lot, yeah. Right. The Feminino uh, from Guatemala. That's right, yeah. A whole array of uh, wonderfully roasted delicious coffee beans. The Tenebris is, is still my favorite. It That's, is mine too. Yeah. Removes the fog in the morning. Exactly. Good, good, good stuff. So what do uh, our listeners have to do to score some of this wonderful coffee? Uh, odd Nauseats, all you have to do is go to oddastraroasters.com. Oddastra is A-D-A-S-T-R-A roasters.com. Go and check out their delicious high quality offerings and you can get a special 10% off by entering the code A-N-A-A and you can also sign up for their monthly subscriptions. Check it out, oddastraroasters.com. All right, so back to the list here. Number eight, uh, studying Latin puts you in the ranks of some very famous and successful people, including uh, Count Dooku himself. Oh, the late Christopher Lee. Yes, who was also Saruman That's right. in Lord of the Rings. I believe he's yeah. six foot nine, something like that. Huge guy. Right? Yes, yes. He's, he, he passed away not that long ago. Not that right? long ago. So Count Dooku. Yes, and I was, I was actually I was just watching a uh, old-timey horror film the other night. The Wick, have you heard of The Wicker Man? No, I haven't. The original Wicker Man, Christopher Lee plays the, the is bad he, guy. Is he made out of wicker? It's, it's a very bizarre strange I don't want to know. I can't recommend it. Okay. But, <laughs> but he's good. He's good in there. Um, Eric Blair, better uh, known to the world as... As George, don't call me Dooku, uh, Orwell. Ah, George Orwell. Yes, right. he also had a background in, in classics. And you actually have a quote uh, from Orwell talking about his background, right? I do, because I just happened to remember this, and then I looked it up. It's from an article entitled uh, George Orwell and the Classics from Classical and Modern Literature 2005, uh, written by a man named Paul Burton. Quote, classically trained at St. Cyprian's and Eton, George Orwell was deeply immersed in the classical tradition. His intellectual relationship to that tradition, however, was never easy or comfortable. It is, in fact, one of the few unresolved paradoxes of Orwell's intellectual life that he both disparaged classics <laughs> as a snobbish and useless relic of a more benighted age, uh -huh. but could never quite free himself from its allure. 
The ambivalence is striking sense of the intellectuals of his generation. Orwell was unsurpassed in his capacity for self-criticism. He would just go around and say, uh, hey, I'm just making this up, but yeah. I am the most self-critical. <laughs> As a writer, it has recently been said, Orwell was forever taking his own temperature. <laughs> He's anticipating the COVID era. Right, right. But as several documents only recently made available a test, Orwell remained ambivalent about his classical heritage, even on his deathbed. At some point in 1948, he drew up a list of Latin words and phrases to be purged from English usage altogether. <laughs> but a short time later, took deep offense at what he characterized as a blasphemous advertisement for Woolsey Socks. Woolsey Socks? Woolsey Socks. The advertisement was fit for the gods which depicts a god of the Greco-Roman type wearing Woolsey's patented duo-shrunk <laughs> undergarment. And, and uh, old George didn't like this? He didn't like this. Oh. So this deep ambivalence. Wow. I read an Orwell biography a few years ago. Really? Of a deeply conflicted guy. Huh. And uh, also a uh, hypochondriac. He died really quite, he died young. I want to say he was only like 40 huh. when, when, he, when he died. I had no idea. But constantly second-guessing. Uh, himself, I mean, clearly brilliant, mm -hmm. um, but you know, kind of all over the map in terms of his uh, the way he felt about himself, his mm. background. That's really I did not know that about. He was so conflicted about his oh yeah his training. We yeah. we can't really turn this into uh, an episode about uh, George Orwell. I mean, no. we could because it's fascinating. Let me just uh, share one little more quote here. Yeah, from this article, it was here, uh, meaning at Eton, that with a mixture of prodding and corporal punishment. Quote, boys were crammed with learning as cynically as a goose is crammed for Christmas. Oh, my. In preparation for spectacular academic careers at places like Eton, where Blair was indeed eventually sent and would matriculate as a classical generalist, etc., etc. Interesting, interesting. Well, I, I got to say, I'm disappointed about his reaction to that socks ad. That's good. It, it, <laughs> Fit for the gods. Exactly right. Right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great admirer of a lot of what Orwell wrote. I um, am, too. But um, not a funny guy. Not a funny guy. How do you mean? I mean, from his writing, I, I don't detect that this is a guy who had any real sense of humor really? at all. Deeply serious. If you can yeah. write a line like, um, we're all equal, comrade, but some of us are more equal than others. I, but that, I mean, that's be darkly funny. I, Very dark, but, Coming out of the mouth of a pig? Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. I, I can see it kind of in claymation. Okay. Yeah, right? Pixar, Pixar Animal Farm. Wallace and Gromit yeah, exactly. have never done Animal Farm. They should do Animal mm -hmm. Farm, right. So, yeah. Count Dooku, just to get back to the quote, yeah. Eric Blair, that is George Dooku Orwell. Yes, we also have C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, mm -hmm. right? And I think anybody who has you know, even a little bit of background in the classics will see that stuff jumping out of the page of the Narnia books and Lord oh, of the Rings, definitely. without a doubt, right? Yeah, one of my students in one of my classes, who will go unnamed, Nomina Deleto, uh, he was wearing a t-shirt the other day, which was a, a riff on Mount Rushmore. But uh -huh. as I looked closely at this T-shirt, I noticed that none of the characters were the presidents. One of them resembled Roosevelt a little bit. So I said, is that Roosevelt? He said, no, this is Chesterton, Tolkien, uh, Lewis. And then I could see Lewis and I think George Herbert, maybe? George Herbert. I think so. Seems kind of the odd one out in that... In that uh, I, I could have that... Uh, that, that maybe maybe McDonald. Could it be George McDonald? Okay. Yeah. I don't... Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. It's beyond, beyond me. So I, I said... Um, to the student, did anyone else comment on this T-shirt? Because evening class, anyone else comment on this T-shirt all day long? No, he said nobody noticed. Really? So I wonder, is that ignorance of American presidents or ignorance <laughs> of English literary luminaries or 
just indifference to t-shirts. Indifference to t-shirts. That's right. probably it. Probably right. Yeah. So after Tolkien, what do we have? We got Tolkien. We have getting a more to the present day. Mark Zuckerberg. Yes. Of Facebook fame. Story goes that he wrote uh, on his Harvard application when it said, do you speak any other languages? He said, Latin. Do you have any idea if Zuckerberg can actually speak Latin? I don't know, but yeah. I think he's enamored of the Aeneid. It, really? Yes. Well, yeah. Well, he needs to be throwing some of that, that sweet Facebook cash <laughs> around classics How departments. How do you know he hasn't? Well, I guess I don't know. Yeah. But it hasn't come to uh, our institutions yet, but that doesn't right. mean it's not out there. Right. Well, uh, speaking of uh, other very famous, very wealthy people, J.K. Rowling mm-hmm. who, um, also has a background in, in classics. Right? Who has done as much, probably, as Rorden to reanimate uh, classics in the minds of young people. Absolutely. I mean, all of those... Um, those spells in Harry Potter are, are Latinate. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of them, but many of them. Latinate is a good way to put it. Yes, exactly. It's a it's squishy, it's squishy uh, yeah. Latinese. I, I right? think that one of the most brilliant things that she did is when she calls the three headed dog Fluffy. Right? Fluffy. Yeah, exactly. There's humor. Right. That, that's really nice. That's good. There's some really some, some quite wonderful kind of on the sleeve references to, to classical literature. Yeah, yeah, I got to see the coffee shop in Edinburgh where she used to sit when oh, she was right. writing as these a, novels. As a kind of a, a young single mother just yes. like struggling. scraping by, right? Yeah, yeah, struggling to get by. And apparently she said to the barista, you know, I'm going to be rich and famous someday. Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, she said that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's great. Good for her. Um, also, it, it's not on the written list, but uh, speaking of wealthy Brits. Um, yes. Do you, do you know who Chris Martin is? No. The lead singer of Coldplay. I think you've brought this up before. Yes, he also was a classics major ah. at uh, Cambridge or Oxford. Or something. Right. That, that, but, yeah. but that music came out after 1992. You refused to, to, to listen to us. Dead, dead to, to me. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's a topic for another episode. Okay. Uh, Dr. Seuss. I was not aware of that. A little edgy. Yeah. yeah. I don't know exactly what his status is in the broader culture yeah. at this point. But studied classics, new Latin. W-E-B. Is it Du Bois or Du Bois? It's Du Bois. It's Du Bois, yes. Yes, it really is. Yeah. I think he was the first African-American to earn a PhD from Harvard. That's right. A very ardent advocate of the classics. Yes, yes. Winston Churchill? Of course. Yeah. Although I think he he may have hated studying Latin more than Orwell. <laughs> than Orwell did, right? I think so. No, it was Churchill, I mean, you go back this far, anybody of that class. That's true. They're going to be studying Greek and Latin. That's but, true. But did Church, so you know, did Churchill, unusual. did he pursue it, you know, further or did he get his A-levels or whatever they call it? I don't there? remember. Okay. I can't really say. Again, you know, in the listener hate mail, we can get <laughs> corrected on all of these things. Right. It's indisputable that Churchill's rhetorical style, the rotundity of his periods uh, were influenced by Cicero, mm. obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes. I like to tell my students that from what I've read, Churchill spent one hour for every minute of speech making, right? So if he was giving a 30-minute speech, it took him 30 hours to compose oh it. Oh, my. My, yeah. And, you know, that really turned the tide of war. Right, right, right. Impressive man. Across the channel, yes. we go to uh, uh, Victor Lemis Hugo. Yes. Yes. A child prodigy. He and his younger brother, I think it was his younger brother, were compelled by their mother to study Thucydides and Livy and other classical authors. That was their diet. And uh, I don't think he enjoyed it very much. But if you have read, you know, any of his novels, I've read two, Les Mis and the other one about the the Hunchback, which maybe is the Hunchback. The Hunchback of of Notre Dame. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Crammed with uh, original Latin poetry. Yeah. Beautiful stuff. Yeah. Also, down on the list, but have you ever heard that story about the American president, James Garfield? You know, who was in office a short time before he was shot. This is unbelievable. He could write Greek and Latin 
with both hands simultaneously. simultaneously. Yeah. Like Greek with the left hand, Latin with the right. I can't eat with a fork and a knife simultaneously. I think it's, I think it's why he was shot. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the bathtub guy, is it? The bathtub guy? Oh, no, that's Taft. Taft. Did he die in a bathtub? He or got, he stuck, get, in he bathtub. got stuck in the bathtub, right? Yes. <laughs> a similar rhetorical rotundity as Churchill. Right, right, right exactly. Um, and then uh, the last one on our list, but certainly... Not the last time. No, not at all. Right. Um, uh, William Billy Shakespeare himself. Yes. Right. Although we don't know a lot about his background. Well, from what I've been told, his, his actual knowledge of Greek and Latin wasn't very strong, but he had read a lot of Plutarch. Yeah. So he knew the lives of the greats. Sure, right. And it, it comes out in his plays. You know, Antony mm-hmm. and Cleopatra. Um, you know, Romeo and Juliet is is straight out of one of those Greek romances. Well, and it's out of Ovid, right? It's, yeah. It's from the Metamorphoses. It's... Um, Pyramus and Thisbe, right? Uh, story he he told twice, if I'm not mistaken. And then those stories were were kind of um, turned into kind of syrupy soap operas mm-hmm. in those in those uh, you know the Greek novels that, um, that Apuleius was in, inspired by. Yeah, right? a little known fact about Shakespeare. In fact, I mean, I guess hardly anybody would know it unless you know you were like me, a student of Jack Holtzmark. So one of my grad school professors, Jack Holtzmark, when he was talking about Homer's influence. He said, no one has ever had as much influence on their own language as Homer, hmm. uh, setting the tone for the entire culture. He said, except perhaps with the exception of Shakespeare. Shakespeare. Yeah. Maybe Shakespeare's influence on English was as profound and broad yeah. as Homer's. And both of those guys earned the title, you know, the poet, the, right. the bard. You don't even have to say their names. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoy Shakespeare so much more than Milton. Do you have a favorite Shakespeare play? Oh, definitely Julius Caesar. Really? Yeah. It, it, just because of the the, oh, the classical milieu? Probably. Yeah, right, right. Is that the second time we've used milieu? Yeah, oh, there's the third we'll in get this the, episode. We'll, we'll fix that in post. Okay. Right. I'm a Macbeth man myself. Are you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And the last one? The last, the, the, uh, the last, there's, I got nobody else on the list. Are no, you talking the last I one? mean the last reason. The last reason. I think that, um, I'm going to throw it over to you because I think you're going to read the last reason, right? Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah. this one, the rigor of the classical languages will make you a better thinker. Their position at the root of so many other languages will make you a better speaker and writer. The worlds that they open up, well, I used to say, and that's what's written here, they will make you a better human. I would probably have to qualify that a little bit now. Okay, okay. I don't, I don't think they'll make you a, a better human. I used to be more, what's the word, um, optimistic about the connection between education and character. Mm. I've, I'm definitely headed in the other direction now. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. As my basic misanthropic impulses <laughs> come to the surface and crowd out everything else. Gotcha. I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But what do you think, Winkle? Absolutely. I, I would I would agree Absolutely with makes you a better person? No, I, oh, I, I thought you were talking about kind of just the broader point of okay. number nine here. No, I'm, I think I'm... I think as I get older, maybe this is just a function of getting older, a, a more pessimistic about that that kind of stuff, like you just said. But definitely make you a better thinker, a better writer, a better reader. Um, I, I think I would I often would tell students when I taught Latin, especially was I tell them I never really understood how English worked right. until I, I learned Latin, and it strikes the ear so counterintuitive. Well, why not just study English? Mm-hmm. But there's something about the taking apart and putting back together of Latin that really you start to understand your own native language that much better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's for sure. And then that is at the root of so many other things, speaking, writing, thinking. Um, it makes you also really good. Uh, did you ever play Balderdash? Oh, yes. You, have to, you know, to guess the, 
Yes, if the you're, if made you're, up definition. If you're a classicist, you can kill at that yeah, game. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you, and, you, can, and you can irritate people to no end mm-hmm. because two thirds of those words in that stack of cards, Latin it or, or Hellenic. Definitely. And you can just nail it every time. So I'm going to get a little bit topical here to try to illustrate this point. Please do. We'll see how this works. I was reading an editorial in the newspaper yesterday, the day before, as Wall Street Journal. Uh, I don't remember the author, but the, the subject was um, President Biden's um, State of the Union address or his address to the... To, to Congress. Yes. Yeah, we could go or so. Right. And uh, this individual, you know, it wasn't really a political column. It was um, about uh, Biden's trouble with stuttering. Mm. And uh, this, this author of the article has a, a son who stutters, too. And so he said, you know, like his policies, don't like his policies... Uh, the man shows a lot of courage to work his way through this stuttering, which is a you know a serious issue for many people, to deliver this speech. Mm-hmm. How this connects here is that he said, uh, sometimes when you are acting, right, uh, people who have trouble stuttering, but if they are in a performance of some kind, if they're playing another role, sometimes the stuttering ceases. Yes. And uh, he mentioned James Earl Jones. I remember... Mm. Uh, Adam Sandler, a number of other famous actors who uh, had a serious problem with stuttering, but then it disappeared when they're playing a role. It's also true of musicians. There's a famous example, the country musician Mel Tillis. He may have been in that list. Yes, a stutterer, but when he sang... Came out perfect. It came out perfect, yeah. So uh, the the connection here is um, you have to step outside of your normal um, intellectual patterns, maybe, uh, in order to to see what you're doing, yeah. So the connection between you know studying English, studying yes. Latin, you step outside and suddenly you get some objectivity on your normal patterns. Right. It also reminds me of some of my favorite comedians are guys like Victor Borgia, mm-hmm. you know, who uh, pianist, pianist, right? And um, or is that Ernest? Maybe I'm confusing him with Ernest. No, Borgnine. no, you're Victor Borgia, the pianist. All right, right? but I think he was uh, Swedish. Hmm. Um, but these comedians explain the meatballs for, for, <laughs> for whom English is their second language, they have a completely different view on the language, right? Uh. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, it's a skewed comedic view, but they, they notice things in the language that a native speaker just takes for granted or doesn't notice at all. Mm-hmm. So kind of coming through it through that different lens, it just opens up another world. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. exactly right. Are we out of reasons? I think we are. That's, that's it. That's it. That's all the reasons there are. There have to be more because yeah. our livelihood depends upon that's it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> We're right. Teach Greek and Latin. There's got to be more reasons. Maybe we'll release some later down the line. Yeah. Okay. All I right. Can come up with some more. A lot of the other reasons are not so much generic but specific. Right. They're not thematic, but you can't enjoy Cicero mm-hmm. right the way that that I do if you if you can't read Latin. Right. Right. You can't see the humor of Ovid if you don't read Latin. Um, I was also just noticing driving downtown today, just um, you know, stuck at stoplights, like looking at just the the architecture in downtown Grand Rapids here. Oh, there's an Ionic column. Yeah. There's a Corinthian acanthus leaf. There's an Acroterion. It's everywhere. You're just dropping the terms. Yes. You're right. It's all over. It's everywhere. Now you can you can you can spend a perfectly good life driving through Grand Rapids and never noticing any of that stuff. Nobody spends a good life driving through Grand Rapids. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> right. All right. Or pick your city. Okay. All right. There's something quite wonderful about seeing that and knowing it and understanding kind of the connecting the dots. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yep. And the study of Greek and Latin, it's going to enrich. It's going to enrich you in that. I think that's a good place to stop. I you? think it is too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, dear listener, we're so grateful that you delayed gratification for a day. Episode didn't drop on Tuesday, but we got it out on, uh, 
Wednesday, May 5. Right. Uh, so hope you're not too angry. Yep. yep. Uh, another little snippet here, a little side dish. Uh, today is the birthday of Karl Marx. Karl Marx, yes. yes. Uh, a man of whom I am not a fan, but when I was researching for this episode, what happened on May 5? Uh, Karl Marx was born on this day. And he actually wrote his master's thesis in Latin. And it was on Augustus. That's right. right. This right. was 1835. Karl Marx on Principatis Augusti Merito inter Feliciores Rei Publicae Romanae Aetates Numeretur. He wrote it in Latin. The whole thing. That's yep. pretty. That's impressive. It's quite good. It's decent Latin. The question is, was the reign of Augustus rightly counted among the happier times in the Roman Republic? And the answer to that question is? You'll have to read the treatise. <laughs> But of course, it's fascinating, right? The question by Marx's time, 1835, it's nearly 1900 years old. Did Augustus, we looked at this before, right? Did Augustus initiate an actual tyranny or did he restore the Republic? Right. So Marx, right, right, uh, asked this question in his master's thesis. Was it a good time to live under Augustus' reign or was it it miserable? Was it unhappy? Hmm. They didn't have any podcasts then, that's for sure. For sure. And I guess, what, he didn't get a teaching job and he went in another direction? That's right. And then 20th century mayhem ensued. That's right. As we know. So do we got to get out of here? We do got to get out of here. But for no particular reason. No, nobody's coming in. Nobody's, nobody's coming beating in. Nobody's the door. Right? That, that running gag has run its course? Possibly. We'll see how, where that goes. We, and I don't even think we have a gustatory parting shot tonight. Actually, we do. We do? Now, we could revive, we could revive the someone's renting the vomitorium. Yeah. Actually, uh, a friend of my daughter who shall remain unnamed, yeah. uh, who loves the podcast, actually asked my daughter, so is there someone really renting the vomitorium? <laughs> Are they coming in? No, 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 no. That's that's just a joke. They just made that up. It's, okay. just, it's just for fun. Oh, I bet she was really disappointed. She was a little disappointed. I, I can imagine. Because it was so implausible, right? The kinds of people that were <laughs> clamoring to get in. Right, right, So right. do I have a, a gustatory parting shot? I have a feeling that you do. I do. Okay. Yeah, this is from Kellogg. Kellogg, the cereal manufacturer, <laughs> who yeah. said, yeah. Lego my ego. <laughs> now think of the ad executive who thought that up. They said, what shall we use? Fluffle my waffle? <laughs> Flan cake my pancake? No. Lego my ego. Lego my ego. That's gold. That's gold. Let's go with that. Yeah. So we got some people to thank. As always, our intrepid engineer, Mishka. Fernando, thanks for putting this together. Yes. We did a little out of order, you notice. We did? Right? That, well, the gustatory shot didn't come last. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Because this is... Uh, We're mixing it up. Mixing it up. Yeah. yeah keeping it real. We're loose. Uh, we want to thank Scott Van Zen and uh, Ken Tamplin for the great uh, intro, outro, and bumper music. As always, thanks, guys. Yeah. We want to invite uh, people to send in complaints, mostly. There'll probably be a lot for tonight. <laughs> to uh, what, is, what are those addresses? Uh, there's Dave at oddnauseum.com. Don't forget the V. Or Jeff at oddnauseum.com. Please leave a review at your favorite platform where you listen to this uh, nonsense. Yeah, and you might think about uh, checking out some of our merch. Yes. At our website, Lurch with Merch. Get yourself a nice ad nauseum t-shirt. Show the world you're taking in and holding down the classics. Yes. It's kind of like leaving a little $5 tip underneath the wine glass at yeah. the end of the meal. And uh, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Thanks a lot. See you next time. <laughs>